From Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. We said on this show, how could you just dismiss the Miami Heat? And every single time they've gotten on the court with the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals, they have reminded us you absolutely cannot. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and your smart speakers. Just ask them politely to play ESPN Radio. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And on a night where Gabe Vincent went off, on a night where Duncan Robinson was effective, the Heat get a shellacking win. They went in and they just embarrassed the Celtics for the entirety of the game to the point that Celtics fans could have left in the second half and just gotten ahead of the traffic. Miami takes a 3 nothing lead and the fire of Jimmy Butler continues, Harry, to be undeniable. And I love how you put that, the fire of Jimmy Butler. Because when I think about Miami, and it's a wonderful time in Miami right now. You think about the Florida Panthers and what they have been able to do and what they're doing right now in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. You look at the Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler leading those guys up 3-0 in this series. It's like, you know... Like, like Trick Daddy says, we don't play, take it to the house. M-I-A, take it to the house, take it to the house, take it to the house. That's how Jimmy Butler feels right now. He wants to take this series to the house. And what I mean by take it to the house, game four is at home. And he wants to go ahead and finish out the Boston Celtics. And Fitz, if it's one person, if it's one person that was waiting for this moment, it was Jimmy Butler. He's shown up. He's shown out. And then I, I was watching something the other day. When they were talking to Jimmy Butler, asking him about, like, why is he so fiery and why does he get on guys? And he basically alluded to something like in, in his Chicago days, how he was playing with Tosh Gibson and Derrick Rose and all those guys. And how, you know, everyone would just get on each other right then and there. They left no stones unturned. And that's why he the way that's why he's the way he is with his teammates in Miami, because he doesn't know no other way. But his guys that he play with. They respond to it. They respond so much in a sense that Jimmy Butler understands that, yes, he can get a bucket when he needs to get a bucket, but he also understands the team aspect of it. And getting all those guys involved makes them a better team. Guys that we're talking about that's undrafted, outplaying people that was drafted for the Boston Celtics and showing up and showing out in the MIA, baby. So all of them are on a heater right now. Not just Jimmy, but I'll say the whole Miami team. Well, yeah. I mean, the Heat made 19 threes in this game. That's the second most in their entire postseason history for a team that came in with a reputation this year of not being able to shoot well from the outside. Again, I'll remind everybody, the Heat ranked last in points per game during the regular season. Like, that's just a stat. They last ranked last in points per game, and now they're sitting here with a 3-0 lead over a Boston team that many people, not on this show, thought that it was just going to run away with this series. And it raises the question of what is it about Jimmy Butler? Because you're right. I want to stress here, Gabe Vincent, 29, Duncan Robinson, 22. In fact, Jimmy Butler only had 16 compared to, if you're just reading the box score, he was the Energizer Bunny. But when you break down sort of what happened here, Danny Green, uh, Cavs uh, ESPN, a former Cavs player, I should say ESPN NBA analyst was on game day on ESPN radio and said this about what makes Jimmy Butler so special. 
I mean, he just knows uh, what needs to what it takes to win, what needs to be done, and um, he, he's great at. at um, obviously, he's very explosive. He's very athletic. He's great at playing the mind game within the game. Um, he knows how to get to his spots. He knows how to get under people's skin. He knows how to get guys in foul trouble. Um, he's a high IQ player. That's what makes him so special. And he's very athletic. So when you're very athletic and a high IQ player, you're able to you know get a lot of advantages on people. Um, but he knows how to build the confidence and lead and encourage his teammates. And as, as well as he's been playing, I give a lot of credit to the bench and the guys around him. I think, Harry, part of that, like, the viral moment, right? Like, think about the viral moment we've all seen where he's calling the timeout. Jimmy Butler's sort of calling the timeout. You know, there's just this... There's this feeding of energy that everybody the, – the, you mentioned the bench players. They're feeding off of just this vibe of nobody thought we could do it. Jimmy's leading us. Now we can do whatever. Yeah, when you have a player that – I say uh, – I, I view Jimmy Butler as being a superstar player, right? And that guy has a high IQ. He plays offense very well. He plays defense very well. Uh, it's a little bit easier for guys like that to you know get on his teammates – but he also encourages those guys and gives them the confidence that they need so when big moments come up and the big moments arise, those guys aren't nervous about taking the shot. Talk about a guy in Gabe Vincent yesterday scoring 29 points and going you know, six from nine from the three-point line. You can't sit up here and tell me he's going to have the 100% confidence if their superstar player Jimmy Butler didn't encourage it. Yes, I understand guys in the NBA for the reason for a reason, and they have confidence. But when your star player or your superstar player pushes that confidence to another level for guys to shoot the basketball and not to be fearful of anything, it speaks volume to the player and the person that Jimmy Butler is on the court and also outside of the court. All of this fits in Harry, by the way. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz speaks to what's happening right now from Miami that's particularly special. Like, look, no matter what happens in these two series, we have two teams in the play and in the Lakers and Miami that are now trying to find their way to the NBA Finals. We'll get to the Lakers, obviously, later. But one thing that just really hit me is if you just look at the the Vegas odds, like Vegas is rarely wrong. Well, the Celtics were a a four-and-a-half-point favorite last night. Why is that significant? I'll tell you. Miami now has eight upset wins. Eight times in this year's playoffs, they have been the Vegas underdog going into a game, and they've won it. That is one shy of the most in a single playoffs in the last 30 seasons, right? And so who are they tied with? Well, the 1995 Rockets. We remember that being a very good team. And the 2020 Heat. There's something about Miami, like when they're the underdog, it just fuels the fire. It gives them that little extra punch and it doesn't seem like it impacts them in any negative way when the whole world has them counted out like the and fact look, that that's happened so many times means something and i'll tell you this and i gotta give kendrick perkins a lot of credit because before the playoffs started he mentioned something and brought something up about these playoffs when it came to the boston celtics being that two seed he said one of the worst things that could probably happen to the boston celtics is them matching up with the miami heat in the first round and a lot of people laughed at Perk for saying that. Now we're watching this Eastern Conference Finals, and a lot of people got to pay their dues and give Kendrick Perkins a lot of credit because what he's seen within that matchup is being displayed in this Eastern Conference Finals for the Miami Heat and also in the Boston Celtics. I, I keep thinking about the day a few weeks ago that you were here uh, and, and you kept screaming, you got you to choke him out. You got to choke him out, right? Oh, and yeah. it's about killer instinct. It's oh, about Jimmy that gonna, moment. Jimmy going to no, cho- do more than choke him. Uh, yeah, but didn't it feel like that? Like yeah. the fact that they came out and said, you know what? 
I, I felt like there was a belief by the Heat that if you slap the Celtics hard enough, they wouldn't get back up. So they came out in the beginning saying, I'll slap you harder than you can slap me back, and let's see if you'll keep coming back for more. Oh, and they see, just see, didn't no, do it. The see, Celtics you, just you didn't You sugarcoating it. You sugarcoating it. See, I got, I'm a, I got to speak real. To do it. They got punked, Fitz. Mm-hmm. They got punked. The Miami Heat have been punking the Boston Celtics in this series. We got to call it like it is. We ain't going to be nice about it. Not on Fitz and Harry. They got punked. And it was evident last night that they got punked. Uh, and, and it was a such a collaborative effort. Like the first couple of games, as we've mentioned here, Jimmy Butler was such key. And he was last night too, facilitating for sure. But the fact that you've got guys hitting open shots, like I don't know how you beat this Heat team right now when they're playing with this level of confidence, when they're making this many shots, when that hasn't been part of their identities throughout the course of the season, when they're playing sort of more efficiently than we're used to seeing them play. Like this is just a different level of the Heat. So all of a sudden Miami has that same fire. They got that same tenacity. They got that same get under your skin. But also they're going to beat you by hitting the open looks that they get along the way. Like, that is something that the Celtics have had literally no response But, but I'll, I'll say this too, though, because, you know, sometimes the stats can be misconstrued. Now, what the Heat weren't able to do from the three-point line and scoring this year, I'm not just going to dismiss it, but we also got to understand in their DNA, watching this team the last few years, they were a team that could score the basketball. They were a team that was shooting, you know, uh, in a prolific manner from the three-point line. Something just didn't click during the regular season. But what we found and what we've seen throughout this playoffs is the Miami Heat has caught fire from the three-point line. Basically what they're accustomed to, you know, and now it's paying dividends out there in the basketball court. I love the fact that ESPN Analytics, the Basketball Power Index, said that the Heat had a 3% chance to win this series before Game oh, 1. man. After the Heat were up two games to none, all our analytics said was a 35% chance. All the way up to yesterday, people still wanted to find a reason why the Heat weren't going to be good enough to beat Boston. And all Miami did yesterday was exactly what we said they could and would do on Friday. They went out there and said, nah, you're not going to come to Miami and we're not going to let you do what you let us do in Boston. There was just a different level of of tenacity and give a damn that there was no match. Man, you got Pitbull, Trick Daddy, Florida. Man, them boys, they... they but where your sandals at? You know them little them them sandals that you know them old men be wearing. You got you let, let, let the sand hit your toes and mm. stuff. Mm, yeah, mm. My, Miami players got their sandals on. Oh, they ain't worried about no damn Boston Celtics. I, I don't care what you say. By the way, Pitbull is a is a treasure. He's underrated. All right. So the Heat are one win away from the NBA Finals. The Celtics are one loss away from another long off season and staring at a massive decision that they need to make now. We'll tell you about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Miami routes the Celtics to take a 3-0 series lead. I just didn't have a ready play. I should have, whatever it was, whether it was a starting lineup or it was an adjustment, just I have to get them in a better place, ready to play. That's on me. This has really been shocking to me to see how inept they look defensively. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Miami 
routes the Celtics to take a 3-0 series lead. I just didn't have them ready to play. I should have, whatever it was, whether it was a starting lineup or it was an adjustment, just I have to get them in a better place, ready to play. That's on me. This has really been shocking to me to see how inept they look defensively. I think the most important thing is just sticking together, and then I have to be better. I got to put them in better positions. I got to get them ready to play. You know, I have to have the game plan ready for us to be physical and to execute, and, you know, it's important that we stick together. There's a fine line in the conversation about the Heat and the Celtics. Because one thing we like to do on this show is make sure that praise goes to the victor. But also sometimes you have to look at the other side and make sure that you're applying the appropriate amount of blame to the loser. So without taking anything away from what the Heat are accomplishing, I think there's also fair questions to be asked about what the hell is happening with the Celtics. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Fitz and Harry's brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. If you are one of the lucky ones that put a little bit of money on the possibility of a, a, a parlay. Uh, our buddy Yates was saying earlier there's a parlay you could have gotten out there uh, for a sweep by the Heat and a sweep by the Nuggets. And if you played that parlay, Evan, do you remember the number? It was like, uh, what was it? A plus, oh, it was a plus 160,000. So, I mean, I'm just saying, if you put 100 bucks on that, dinner's on you for the rest of your life. I, it, it's rare that we'd be in this situation. We've never seen a sweep on both sides. But particularly what we're looking at right now with the Celtics is an implosion. And it has questions all over the place about who's to blame. I want you to hear, Harry, what Joe Mazzula had to say afterwards. You'll hear the, the question, too. Very simple question, very complicated answer. And the, the thought process is, were the Celtics ready? Joe, the, the biggest game of the season, a game you had to have, and you guys just looked completely lost after the first six minutes. What exactly happened out there? Uh, I just didn't have him ready to play. I just didn't have him ready to play. I should have, uh, whatever it was, whether it was a starting lineup or it was an adjustment, just I have to get them in a better place, ready to play, and that's on me. Oh. Well, <laughs> <laughs> let me say this, because I, I think – there, there have been moments in this series, and I will say throughout this playoffs, where we've questioned Joe Mazzullo on so many levels. And he said his team wasn't ready, but I would ask, is Joe Mazzullo ready for these moments? Because in this series so far, it looked like he doesn't. To the point to where, Devin, can you help me out a little bit about is he ready? She wasn't ready. She wasn't ready. <laughs> no, 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 no. Joe Mazzula isn't ready either. No, no, no. But let me say this, though, to Joe Mazzula's defense a little bit. It's not like we're talking about a Boston Celtics team that's not experienced. It's not like we're talking about a Boston Celtics team that hasn't been in these positions before. So, yes, Joe Mazzula does deserve some of the blame, but I'm also going to put blame on Everyone who was on that team last year in the Eastern Conference Finals and made an NBA Finals, I'm also going to add Malcolm Brogdon to that case as well because he is the sixth man of the year. Now, check this out, guys. Tatum, Brown, Smart, and Brogdon combined for one for 20 from the three-point line Woo! with nine turnovers between those guys. You want to know what happened early on in that game? Those guys turned the ball over. The Miami Heat. The 50-50 balls, the energy was there on their sides, and it wasn't there 
for Boston to the point to where, let me read something to you, Fitz. And this says a lot. Magic Johnson, who's a Hall of Famer, who people think a lot of, very, very highly of, tweeted this. In my 44 years of being associated with the NBA, I never thought I'd see the Boston Celtics team, a franchise with 17 championships, quit. I know the Celtics fans all over the world must be disgusted and devastated. The Miami Heat blew them out 128 to 102 in game three. That's powerful. I mean, 128 102 wasn't even as. It, that's closer than it actually was. Yes, it was. That's the yep. thing. Like, for anyone that wasn't watching the game, this thing could have turned into, uh, no exaggeration, it easily could have been a 50 point win if they'd wanted it to. Now, all of this raises questions when your team quits about what, what's next. And remember, that you know we're in a situation where Joe Mazzulla, the head coach, was named the interim head coach with very little notice because of controversy around Ime Odoka, their co- their coach at the time, who was let go. Mazzulla gets the job midway through the year. Things are going so well that they rip it up and they take away the interim title and they give him a contract extension to make him the permanent head coach. But we all know permanent is a word that you could put quotes around in the NBA, given the way we've seen coaches fired this offseason. This is what Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA insider, said on Keyshawn J. Will and Max about Missoula's future. When you lose a game like that, when you lose a series like this, it's just dangerous. It's it's dangerous to your organization because it creates uh, a tension to demand action. It is human nature that no matter how much you support a person and believe in somebody, that when you see this happen, you know, the team is frankly just too expensive and there's too much on the line to not test the trust there. And so, again, if you'd asked me three days ago, I'd have said, no, he'll be back. Now I can't, I don't feel that way. Harry, sometimes it's just it's it's about the optics, right? Like yep. you're taking on a coach that is so wildly, wildly respected at this point. And I would love, you know, as, as we mentioned on the show last week, and one of our guests pointed out, it wasn't that long ago when Spolstra. I mean, I guess it feels like a long time ago, but in his uh, first season when they didn't win, it was oh well, maybe Spolstra isn't the guy, and now he's so widely regarded as you know one of if not the best coach in the NBA, right? So Spo got sort of that benefit of the doubt as he learned, and I would love to think the same could happen with Missoula. But when you see a team lay down and quit in that sort of, when you see the Celtics lay down and quit with those superstars. And they lay down and quit. If you are ownership in a front office, how the hell do you get that out of your mind? Well, it's hard to get out of your mind. And we got to remember the game before in game two, Joe Mazzula said that these guys let go of the rope. That means they waved the white flag as well. So to carry that over to a game three, and now you're down 3-0 in this series versus the Miami Heat, in which they have another game at home. Uh, the ne- The very next game is at home for them. It's, it's not looking good. And I'll tell you, uh, the difference between, I think, Eric Spolstra and, you know, Joe Mazzula is that Spo actually was in the championship, right? And those guys lost to Dirk Nowitzki, right? They lost that championship. But he also had LeBron James. So when you have a LeBron James and you have a Dwayne Wade and you have a Chris Bosh, I think the hope may be a little bit better, more so than it is right now for – Joe Mazzula having a Jason Tatum and a Jalen Brown. I would take Spolstra coaching LeBron, D. Wade, and Bosch overtaking Joe Mazzula coaching, 
you know, Jason Tatum and a Jalen Brown. So I think it's a difference there, too. Yeah, I, here's the thing for me. As we've said, I feel like a thousand times, Brown and Tatum, I don't think are going anywhere. And I, they're both going to be part of the long-term plan for the Celtics. You can really miss me with the conversation. They're going to split this up because you'd have to find something that makes you demonstrably better in that process. I don't think you can do that. Also, I think you, you keep superstars when you have superstars. And in you today's world, to. you find coaches. The fact is, we're going to find out whether or not the Celtics want this coach in their next game. Because if they lay down and just accept the sweep, then you got to get a different voice. There is no question. Lay you, your head on my pillow. Take me to church. Yeah. Mm. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know it as well as anybody. There were times in a locker room that you could feel it playing, right? That yep. you were you were co- you were playing for a coach's job. And when you have the opportunity to play for the way a coach is perceived in a game where you can at least keep yourselves alive in a conference finals, if you lay an egg in that one, there is no chance you can bring back Missoula and ask anybody, the fans, the players, the organization to respect it. You can't lose the way they lost and have that happen again get swept and then just run it back and hope that it's going to be different next well you know my saying either you're coaching it that way or you're allowing it to happen Mm. so something something has to give here all right so that's the side of it that we've all wondered about from the celtics but they're not the only team on the brink of a late elimination lebron and the lakers could be done and that leads to the question about if this is about to be the final offseason he spends with the Lakers. There's one move L.A. could make for his farewell tour. One of our insiders broke it down, and it is erupting in a viral sensation. We'll tell you about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. You just got to get one. It's one game uh, series for us. They toyed with the Los Angeles Lakers. The Denver Nuggets and Borg Groove sticks to Southern California. Whether the Lakers win game four or not, they're probably losing this series in four or five games. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. One hundred nineteen to one hundred eight. It's a final now at Crypto.com Arena. The Nuggets closed on a twenty-six to fourteen run and now lead three games to none. Just gotta get one. It's one game uh, series for us. They toyed with the Los Angeles Lakers, and as a result, the Denver Nuggets and Borg Groove sticks to Southern California. They're on the verge of sweeping this team. Whether the Lakers win Game Four or not, they're probably losing this series in four or five games. Lakers fans weren't really in a panic until, bum, 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 this thing went back to L.A. and the result was the same. Now it raises some questions about what's about to happen. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. The obvious news that most of you know at this point is that the Lakers lost, and they're now down three games to none. They lost as the series went back to L.A., and they are on the 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 door uh, the 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 precipice of being swept. Looking for big words, apparently. Thank you. Got it. Uh, so 
it, it, the funny part about this is I, I love looking at the right now, Harry, but sometimes you hear something that just perks your ears up to the what's next portion of the conversation because one of the players that has not been good enough throughout the course of this series is somebody you've been very hard on, a lot D'Angelo Russell, right? Like he's just been milk carton D'Angelo throughout the course of this. So when you're looking at what's wrong with the Lakers, it's pretty easy to see part of that answer looks like it's D'Angelo. No, a lot of it is in my eyes because for some odd and apparent reason, and I shouldn't say odd, the moment obviously has been too big for him. And Bruce Brown came out and said something before the, uh, one of those games and said, we basically were going to attack D'Angelo Russell because he's one of the weakest links when it comes to the Lakers defense. And I would think after someone says something like that about you, that you would elevate your game and step up your play. He has done everything but that. Right. And to the point to where we're questioning, should he be a starter? And if I'm Darvin Ham and I'm looking at it going into game four, I got to shake something up. I got to switch something up. I can't worry about people's feelings and how they feel about things, especially if they're not being productive on the basketball court. Now, then we just had this conversation about Jordan Poole and the Golden State Warriors in the last series versus the Lakers. Now this conversation has carried over to now the Lakers and D'Angelo Russell to the point to where. They need his scoring. And he had a lot of wide-open shots in that game the other night in Game 3. He just didn't knock him down. I remember it was one of the times where, you know, he shot it, missed. Lakers got an offensive rebound. He got kicked back to him. He missed again. And you could just feel the air out of, uh, you know, for me, Staples Center. For y'all, I think is what, Crypto Crypto, Arena? Crypto, yeah, Crypto. Yeah, that's for (laughs) y'all. But you could just feel the air go out of the building, though, by him missing those two back-to-back threes. Well, and it raises a question not just of what they can do right now, but what they can do long-term because – Realistically, there's one name that always comes up around the Lakers. Who is that? Who is that? Uh, one Kyrie Irving. And as people Ooh. all around might look and say, what? Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA insider, said this on Keyshawn J. Willemax about what it would take for Kyrie to get to L.A. The Kyrie thing with the Lakers is it's kind of up to Kyrie because I don't think they're going to be able to get to the with unless the Dallas Mavericks help Kyrie out. I don't think they're going to be able to get to the number, the max number. And so if Kyrie Irving is willing to come for less than the max, which would enable the Lakers to keep Austin Reeves as well, I think it's something that they have to consider. Now, there's a lot of controversy sometimes with Kyrie. We all know that. There's controversy around some of the things that Kyrie has said and done. But if you are the Lakers, you've got to look at one important piece of information here, Harry. And that is that next year could be your last year with LeBron. He's made it clear he'd like to play with his son, Bronny, when when his son comes in in a couple of years. The way the contract's structured, LeBron can kind of go wherever he wants. So unless the Lakers turn around and draft Bronny, there's going to be a very real chance that LeBron goes somewhere else. If that's the case, this is your last year to really capitalize on it. If everything mm-hmm. ends in this series, whether it's four games or five games, you've got one thing you have to do this offseason. That's figure out how to win the championship next year. Kyrie would certainly help you accomplish that. Now, you say that's one thing. There's one thing that the Lakers should look at. I think it's two fits. Okay. And here's the other sense of it. You look at a guy in Kyrie Irving who won a championship with LeBron James in Cleveland. I remember they were down 3-0, uh, 3-1 in that series versus the Golden State Warriors where one of those games where LeBron had 40, I believe Kyrie Irving had 40 as well, right? So now you're talking about a guy, unlike D'Angelo Russell, who the moment and the, the stakes at hand aren't too big for. You know he is the greatest person in my eyes with the basketball in his hand going to get a bucket, 
right? He can dribble through anything, double teams, one-on-one. He can play any way you want him to play offensively. He can shoot it deep. He can shoot free throws at a high percentage. He's a guy that I feel like the Los Angeles Lakers need on their team because at times in this series, the lack of scoring and the droughts that they go through has been something that I can't ignore. And part of that is because of your point guard playing D'Angelo Russell and what he hasn't been able to provide for you. Well, that's not a case when it comes to Kyrie Irving. And you can't sit up here and tell me, well, Kyrie doesn't play, you know, tough defense. Y'all think D'Angelo Russell does? So that argument is dead in the water as, as we speak at the moment. I just think Kyrie Irving adds another element to the Los Angeles Lakers. And now you have, if you have AD, Kyrie, and LeBron, you have moments where you can rest the other two guys because you have another bona fide scorer out there with whoever you want to put in the game at that time. I think that rest element is a huge part of it because let's be real, every single game has had some sort of a fatigue meltdown in this series for the Lakers. And the strategy really has been let's just make them you know, run around the whole, court, the, the whole game until they lose it and then we'll be able to take advantage of it. That's worked brilliantly for the Nuggets. You make a great point that at some point you're going to have to spell LeBron. Like I think part of this conversation about fa- father time that's come in, you know, father time's always undefeated. I've heard that I feel like a million times on shows over the course of the last week. Now, I can, I say, can I say this really quick too though? Yeah. On, on, like when it comes to Austin Reeves, now, if Austin Reeves has an opportunity to get 30, 25 to 30, 35 more million dollars more than the Lakers can offer him, do you think he's going to stay in L.A.? No. no, no with no, those no, taxes? No, no. Okay. No, all right. no, not at all. But, I mean, the, the point with load management or with, with time management for me is that, like, maybe LeBron is ineffective if he's at 40 or 41 minutes a game. Maybe it, I shouldn't say ineffective. You know what I mean? Maybe there yes. are times that down the stretch he has issues. If you reduce LeBron to 30 minutes a game – Imagine what a difference it would be in what you're asking from him. Even if you got him 35 minutes a game, like finding other people that can take some of the weight because we've seen the fact that LeBron just is being asked to carry so much and it simply doesn't work. There's a lot of roster construction components that are going to be difficult, but the fact that somebody like Wendy is mentioning Kyrie means that there's something there. If there's anything I've learned about Wendy, it's not that he just comes out and says stuff to be fun. Wendy says stuff when he has some level of information. So all of a sudden, everybody's going to be perked up to figure out what it means for Kyrie and the Lakers and if that could fix whatever they need to take advantage of this offseason. And you can't ignore the simple fact that Kyrie Irving has won an NBA championship with LeBron James. None of us have forgotten about the shot that Kyrie Irving hit to put them up those three points over Steph Curry. No one has forgot about that. But we also don't know if Kyrie's going to want to work with a deal that will give him anything less than every dollar he can make. A lot of variables left to take here. All right, the future of one all-time great was decided today. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. How are we doing now, though? It's Fitz and Harry. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Harry, it's been a few days. Are the is the is the candy bar still in the refrigerator? It is. It is. I'm doing really, really well this morning. Woo! You know, I ate oatmeal. I had a bagel, mm. some freshly cut fruit, and some honey nut Cheerios. So I, I always already feel the difference in my body because I'm not eating pork or beef for the next month. So 
I already feel a change in my body. It's, it's going good. I, my first two or three days, Fitz, I was having withdrawals, but I've gotten over that that point now. Uh, see, I'm so proud of you, buddy. This is mm-hmm. great. Like, uh, you already look like an Adonis, but now you'll just, uh, like, your abs will have abs and <laughs> the world will be jealous. Uh, we want to get you caught up on some breaking news. Fitz and Harry, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel lady, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Uh, we got a Woj bomb four minutes ago. All right, so this just out from Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN sources. The Bucks are narrowing a group of top candidates in the franchise's head coaching search. Nick Nurse, Golden State assistant Kenny Atkinson, and Toronto assistant Adrian Griffin. These coaches will be part of final conversations with Milwaukee leadership this week. He also adds Nurse looms prominently in Phoenix and Philadelphia searches too, sources say. So not surprisingly here, Harry, we've got Nick Nurse, who has a hell of a resume with Toronto, coming in now and being basically a prominent part of the Bucks, Phoenix, and Philadelphia, the three big jobs open in the minds of most. But also you do see Kenny Atkinson, the Golden State assistant, and Toronto yep. assistant Adrian Griffin getting a little love in this process for Milwaukee, who seems to be very intentional in their search. Yeah, Kitty Atkinson is a guy that, you know, I think a lot of people need to look out for, too, because the job that he was able to do with the Brooklyn Nets before they decided to go elsewhere um, and bring in Steve Nash was a phenomenal job, right? He He's a guy that's an assistant for the Golden State Warriors and Steve Kerr. He was there in New York with the Knicks alongside of my brother and worked very closely with my brother in his game and his one-on-one uh, daily training. So he's a phenomenal coach, and when he is a head coach, he's going to be able to, I, th- I think, do a lot of things. When he's a head coach again, he's going to be able to do a lot of things in this in, in this league. And also, though, I just have to remind you, remind everybody, I just said looms prominently in the coaching search for Milwaukee, who recently won a championship. Philadelphia, who has the MVP, and Phoenix, who has Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Like, the jobs that are open this year are just stunning. There, there's just no two ways about it. And, and, and I'll say this. A, a guy like Ime Udoka, at the time, he didn't re- he didn't realize that these jobs was going to be open, but he took the Houston job, and I know he's – he, you know, he he's prideful and he he's glad he he took took that job. But looking at these three that are open, uh, I know he probably wish he would have waited a little bit. No, he needs to just Josh McDaniels this and be like, hey guys, I know we haven't hit a game, but I'm gonna go back. Like, I just <laughs> see where it goes. Now, this wasn't the only big NBA news not to do with the conference finals uh, today. Uh, we got some huge player news today. Carmelo Anthony didn't wait for anybody else to break the news. He broke the news himself, announcing that he is retiring from basketball. And obviously, Carmelo, like when you think of this era of the NBA, it is hard to not have a conversation that involves Carmelo somewhere, some way. I mean, you talk about greatness year in and year out for so much of his career, just one of the most dominant scorers we saw in this generation. I love that not only that Carmelo uh, took it uh, took it on himself to announce it to the world, but that we get this moment to celebrate somebody that, frankly, had just a spectacular career. Yeah, he Carmelo was a guy that you know, can shoot the mid-range, can shoot the three-point, can play with his back to his to the basket. A physical, a guy that's physically gifted and imposed his will on a basketball court to the to the point to where you hear you know all-time greats speak about him, how hard he was to cover because of that physicality. He's a guy that never won a championship, but I don't want that to cloud the player that he was throughout his career, the duration of it. He was phenomenal in Denver. He was phenomenal with the New York Knicks. And I think that's where a lot of people really loved him the most when he was with the New York Knicks and being able to, you know, try to lead them 
to a championship. It came up short, didn't get to happen. My brother was a guy that played with him, Tony Douglas for the Knicks, and Melo was a phenomenal teammate. But, you know, when it comes to winning the championship and deciding where you're going to go in free agency, we got to also mention that, you know, Carmelo may have chose the finances over going somewhere and winning the championship. And that's okay sometimes uh, because he probably tried to want to do it, you know, not on his own, but in his own way, bringing a championship back to New York. It didn't happen that way and it fell short of it. But I'm not going to let that be a dark cloud on his career because he was a phenomenal player and also a phenomenal human being. Yeah, Carmelo is the exact thing that I think I've been yelling about since we started this show. Like, we've got to stop making championships such a part of somebody's legacy that we refuse to acknowledge individual greatness. Carmelo Anthony, in every possible way, was individually great in his career. And at some point, you got to step back and say, even his motivation in going to New York, when you're from New York and you grew up a Knicks fan, if you want to yep. go play for the team, that made you love the sport, who the hell am I to tell you that you shouldn't? And if you do that and you're not able to win a championship, I mean, am I going to put that on Carmelo or am I going to put that on the Dolan family that, you know, frankly has been screwing that up for a long time? Like, it's not Carmelo's fault necessarily that the Knicks didn't turn around and suddenly become a juggernaut. He tried. He went and played somewhere he wanted to play for a team that he grew up loving. I would guarantee you one thing, Harry Douglas, if I had mm -hmm. ever had the athletic ability to go out and play football, and God knows I don't, but if I did, you bet your sweet bottom that I would have wanted to play for the Raiders no matter what the situation is because that's why I love football. I'm not going to fault Carmelo for the lack of rings. I'm not going to fault Carmelo for taking the Knicks. I'm going to praise Carmelo today for his individual greatness time and time again. And also, we got to look at the fact that he won a national championship at Syracuse under Jim Beheim, right? So he was able to do it in those regards as well. He's best friends with LeBron James and Chris Paul. We know how close those guys are. So Carmelo, in my eyes, is a player that I used to love watching um, because of the way he played the game and the way he imposed his will, but his shot-making ability, now he's passing that torch to, uh, to, uh, to his son, Kion, Kion, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to be moving forward as well because he has the height, has the size, but he has his phenomenal father to show him the way. Coming up, there's one simple thing that explains why the Lakers are down three games to none. We'll tell you what it is next. Fitz and Harry, the podcast.